Well, I am certainly thankful for our home. Um, if you know anything about our, our story in getting here, um, you know, one of the difficult things was we were moving right at the tail end of the housing insanity. Um, and Katie and I, I think we put bids on six different houses, Katie, something in, in that nature. We, we, had, we, put, we put bids on, we lost six different houses in the process of moving here. Um, and uh, we loved our home back in Rock Island. It was a cute little Cape Cod on a, on a postage stamp lot, and Katie had grown up in a Cape Cod in, in North Dakota, and so it was, it, was very, it was very wonderful. But when we moved here, uh, the, the home that we finally uh, were able to purchase, uh, if you haven't heard the story, before Katie was even employed, um, some things came together, and it was 23 minutes from, uh, from, from the church down to our house down in Aleppo Township, um, uh, but then Katie got her job in Chartiers Valley, and it was 23 minutes from our home to the intermediate school in Chartiers Valley before we even knew, and we thought, hmm, I guess we're right where we were supposed to be. School district was a major concern for us, uh, and uh, we had troubles back in Rock Island because the school district struggled a little bit with providing services, and yet we ended up in Quaker Valley, which has been fantastic um, and has, has done so much uh, for, our, for our kids. But there was one thing. There's always something there, isn't there? Actually, there were a, a number of things because we had to replace all of the appliances once we moved in because they all went one by one. But the big thing was this spring, as one of the larger storms rolled through the area, um, I became distinctly aware of something that really needed attention and something that Katie really got on me to, to, to take care of. Because during one of the, the larger storms, if you don't know, we have a wooded lot. And so we have less grass here, even though we have two acres, than we had on our postage stamp lock, lot out in Rock Island. We've got trees galore. But we had this one tree that as the storm rolled in and as the trees are bending precariously far... I realized that this tree was hanging right above my truck. <laughs> and as I inspected the tree after the storm, I noticed that a good portion of the base of the tree was rotted out. And it was... Ugh. And so the question was, well, do we hire someone or do I go buy, and buy a chainsaw? And if any of you know me by now, you know that I went and bought a chainsaw. Because any chance to go to the hardware store is a great day in my book. This thing was rotten, and it, it was rotten pretty, pretty far into it. And the fortunate thing is it was mulberry. And if you know anything about mulberry, it's harder than hard maple, which means it's wicked strong, to put it in Bostonese. But... It's, it, it, it was a tree that, was, that needed to come down before it came down. It needed to take care of, uh, it needed to be taken care of because it was rotting out and it was, it was a good bit of rot in that thing. Um, and what we're going to find out today is that 
as, as we talk about the Scripture in Isaiah, we're going to be in Isaiah 5 and in Isaiah 11. And actually, I'm going to start out in 5, and I'm really sorry, Brooks, I didn't include this in my notes. Uh, we're going to start out in 5, and we'll attack 7 a little bit later in the sermon. But what we're going to find out is that God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You know, that tree couldn't heal its own rot. That tree had one way to go. It was down. The only thing it needed was an amount of time, and that's what I didn't know. What, what the, that was the factor that I didn't know. The time was either going to be sometime during the next storm or it was going to be sometime in the next five years. I didn't know which. But either way, it needed to come down, and it needed to come down in a way that was going to promote uh, health and safety and preservation of property. And we're going to find out that we are a lot like that tree, and we are a lot like a vineyard that was supposed to grow but did not. And so as we talk about God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves, we're going to find out why we need a Savior. We're going to find out what our proclivities are even when God is in the picture and around, and we're going to find out that the future the Savior creates. So right now we're going to take a look at uh, Isaiah chapter 5. So I, I hope you have opened your Bibles to that. Please do if you haven't. We're going to read the first seven verses. Like I said, we'll come to Isaiah 11 a little bit later in the sermon. But hear God's word. Isaiah writes, I will sing a song for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up, he cleared it of stones, and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut, a, cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad now I will tell you what I'm going to do with my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. This is God's Word to us. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to Your Word again, we are reminded of how we need Your Spirit to open our eyes and our hearts. Sometimes it is hard to understand what You are saying to us, even when the imagery is there and seems like it should be clear. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to see, our, our ears to hear, and our hearts to understand what your word has for us. And in so doing, that, that we would become more and more convinced of your truth and of your grace for us in Jesus Christ. Strengthen my words during this time, for, for mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind, but you, O oh God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord our rock, and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 
This entire passage turns on the image of a vineyard. Now, I'm going to guess that we don't have many people who have planted a vineyard in here. Uh, anyone plant a vineyard in here? All right. Marsha has done it. Wow. All right. So a vineyard in uh, the ancient Near East in, in the Old Testament times uh, was a very labor-intensive process. It required clearing the, the rocks out of the soil because uh, the, the land over there is very rocky, and so you need to clear the large stones. You need to build a wall for any of the animals that will come by and either trample or eat your, uh, your um, vineyard. Uh, any of us tried to plant a garden and have to deal with deer? <laughs> yeah, I can plant all the rosemary I want. They're still eating the good stuff. And you had to tend it, you had to take, make sure that there weren't people that were going to come from outside and steal some of your harvest, and so you had to build a watchtower or you had to build huts uh, for people to stay and guard your vineyard. It was a very labor-intensive process, and after you've planted the vineyard, it took two years for the fruit to actually appear. I have trouble with fast food lines. I swear they were faster when I was a kid. But to wait two years for a crop, and then if you're talking about a garden, I struggle to wait for the tomatoes. But we're talking two years of waiting. And this image turns on a vineyard keeper who has done all of this. This vineyard keeper has, has, has taken care of the land. He has, he has built up the walls. He has uh, made a... a um, a watchtower, he has hewn out of stone the, the wine press. All things that should ensure that there is a good crop. And he looked for the choicest vines. Do you see that? Uh, I look for the choicest vines. All things that should ensure a good crop. You know, there are... are uh, Every year we plant uh, the, the little cherry tomatoes, the, the grape tomatoes, and there's a certain brand of them, the Sun Golds, that I love because they are, they are great in a caprese salad. Oh, mm -hmm. And so I look for those, and every year without fail, if we water it, if we, uh, if we fertilize it, even if we don't, if we take care of things, those tomato crops will grow, and they will grow solidly. And I'm sure you have this uh, similar experience. Yes, we deal with the deer, we deal with, with this and that, but if, if we take some reasonable precautions, we can produce a good crop of things. And yet what we have in this story is we have the, the experienced gardener who knew what to do, who knew how to produce the ideal location, the ideal situation for grapes to grow. And yet, what happens in the story? He says, I looked, he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And then in the next verse, the, he asks us to judge, what more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? 
you know, as we think about the gardening analogy, as we think about uh, our own experience with gardening, it's not too far of an understanding to say, for us to be able to stand with the person telling the story and say, this should have worked. You should have had at least half-decent grapes. You did everything right, but it still turned out wrong. Isaiah goes on to explain the story that, that this story is a metaphor, that, that the people of Israel were, were the, the vineyard, that God had worked throughout history to produce the, the, the conditions that we needed as the people of God, because their history is our history. He, he, he did everything that he could to, to pave the way for us to produce good fruit, for us to, to do the right things and to choose the good, as ethicists might say. And yet, the story is what? When I looked for good grapes, all I could find were bad. Sour fruit, bitter fruit. Last week we talked a little bit about uh, we talked a little bit about the, those habits that that we don't want. About the fact that we don't have to teach anyone to to lie. We don't have to teach a child how to how to uh, equivocate. We don't have to teach a child how to become a lawyer, essentially, because they're good at arguing. It comes naturally to us. The, 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 the nature within us to, to get out of it, to, to avoid good, to, to turn in our, on our own hearts and to do the things that only we want regardless of how that affects others, let alone to worship God and to fulfill His holy law. It's so easy to turn in on ourselves. And what we can see is that, that we really do represent that vineyard, don't we? That no matter what goes on around us, no matter how much the, the rocks get plowed out and how much the, the, the soil gets prepared, no matter how many outside things we prepare or outside things we keep out, we still have the ability to turn in on ourselves, that our hearts curve in on ourselves and say, well, what about me and what about my desires and what about what I want and I really want this. You know, so I, I often say that, that adults are, are no different than kids. We're just far more clever about it. Kids wear their, their heart on their sleeves. I want that toy, and I will take it from you. Adults, we, we will pause and we'll, we'll, we'll have a little bit of patience, but eventually we'll say, well, do you really need that, or can I, can I take that off your, your hands for a while? We're clever about it. But our hearts are no different. And imagine this statement in verse 4. The fact that God Almighty has prepared the way for us in the midst of a sinful world, in the midst, in the midst of a rocky world, he has, he has taken out the stones from the soil. He has, he has put up protection around us. He has, he has sought to give us the best chance possible because 
we can often ask in this world, and I've heard the question asked, is this really the best world that God could put forward for us? He answers that question in this passage. Yes, I have been preparing the soil for you. I have been making things so that you could choose the good and the right and the holy. And yet, what do we do? How many of us will will turn in on ourselves as we are turning out of the parking lot? How many of us will, will look and say, come on, you can execute a right turn faster than that. How many of us will get to Costco and go, oh, why are there so many people here? We'll look at, at, at lines in the grocery store. We're coming up on that season. Yes, Christmas is joyful, but you'll look at parking lots and say, oh, no. <laughs> Our hearts turn in on ourselves. I don't want to wait in a line that long. I don't want to, to deal with all the people around. I don't want to deal with, with crazy shoppers and, and crazy drivers and, and, and just all the madness that they do, right? Forgetting the ways that our hearts have turned in on ourselves. And so this story describes the state of our own hearts. It shows why we need a Savior, because we can make ourselves think that we are good people, but that's always on our own measure on our best days and relative to other people, isn't it? I am a good person compared to. I am a great person compared to... people who cheat on their taxes. I am a great driver compared to that jerk who just pulled out in front of me. I am so holy I can stand here and not show that I am seething. We need a Savior because our hearts have curved in on ourselves. We are bent towards ourselves. We need a Savior because no matter what the conditions are, no matter how well God has prepared the soil for us, we cannot do it on our own. And that's what we need to see as well, that that we need a Savior, but we need a Savior even when God is around in the area. You know, the, the, the people of Israel were God's chosen people. Call, God called Abraham out from idolatry. He called him out from his own country, from his own people, from his own culture, from his own religion to be his chosen person and so that, that his descendants would be his chosen people. God was with the people of Israel. He was there... Uh, throughout the history, making sure that the, the way was prepared, making sure that, that Israel had what it needed to thrive, not just to survive, but to thrive, to be the people that other nations would look to and would say, we want to believe in that God. We want to believe in that being because that being is good. That God is good. Look at His people. Look at the way that they, that they 
attend to justice and righteousness. Look at the way that their poor are cared for. Look at the way that they reach out to others. And yet, throughout the history of Israel and then Israel and Judah, what do we see? Well, the Exodus. Let's just start there. What do we see in the Exodus? Moses going up to speak with God to receive the Ten Commandments, the the hand of God, the finger of God writing into stone. And the people saying, this is taking way too long. Aaron, could you really just make some gods for us? We could really use that. We, We see an entire generation that has to die out because of their faithlessness to God before they can enter the promised land. These are the people who had the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of smoke by day, and yet they still couldn't follow the heart of God. That generation had to die out before they could enter the land, and even when they entered the land, they couldn't fulfill God's call on their lives to take the land. And we read in Judges about the fact that, that even as they are, are in the land, even as they are, are living there under the lordship of God, that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Even after they take this land of, of milk and honey. The history of the people of God. If, if we hear people talk about the fact that, that Christians and those who believe in God are hypocrites, The answer is yes. Our history is a history of faithlessness to God. But fortunately, it's also a history of God's faithfulness to us. That as we messed it up and we messed it up, we have shown that we cannot do it on our own. But as God is just and holy and righteous and all-powerful, He is able to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And we see that, that even in our, with God around, that things still go off the rails when we are not attuned to Him. And we struggle with these questions today. We struggle with, with questions about uh, our future and about our world and about the state of our world, with war in two distinct different parts of the world. And as we consider uh, what's that going to look like, we understand that what Isaiah says, when the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in, he looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress." Even when we set up organizations devoted to world peace, we still end up in bloodshed. Even when we say that we are good people, we still end up cursing the the person next to us because they didn't do things the way that we wanted them to. And so we prove what Paul said in Romans. In, in, In Romans, Paul says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. How many know that feeling? Amen. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin 
at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? His answer is this, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have fears, we have questions, we have doubts, and we wonder, what will tomorrow bring? Will I be able to retire when I want? If I'm already in retirement, will what I have last? What will the world bring for my kids or for my grandkids? Worry has come back into our psyche in a most powerful way. And it's when worry worms its way into our brains, then, then we can go back to that warped nature of saying, well, I've got to take care of myself. I've, I've got to look after myself. I've got to look after my family because who else is going to do it? We feel like the prophets of Baal that we talked about last week. No one listened. No one paid attention. No one cared. And we say, God, if you're out there, that's fine, but i got to take care of things for myself. And that's even with God around us. Shows of His faithfulness. All right, Pastor James, this is getting really depressing on Thanksgiving week. Where are we going with it? Let's turn over to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. We're going to mix our metaphors here. We're going to be talking about a tree in this one. But it translates. Isaiah continues, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist." If we cannot create a world for ourselves in which there is justice and righteousness, a world that we desire to live in, then we need a Savior who creates a future for us. And that's what Isaiah talks about. Isaiah talks about the fact that, that when all seems lost, when, when the, the tree is chopped down, when, when the vineyard has been weighed late, uh, laid waste... I, Screwed that up this morning, too. But when all these things happen, God is still able, out of that death, to produce life. Boy, that sounds like a familiar story. Sounds like we should be in Easter. But that's the, been the story all throughout, that when what we produce is sour and is death, God is able to take that and to take his promises and produce out of that life and hope and a future. From the stump of Jesse, from, from that royal line of David, which was supposed to produce good kings 
and did for a generation and a half, but then turned sour and rotten and led the people astray and led them into idolatry and the, the wealth gap increased and, 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 and the, the poor and the, the widows were taken advantage of and, and, and eventually all the way down into child sacrifice when all those things happened and God said, I have got to clear this tree out. There is too much rot in it that out of that stump, a righteous root could come up. A righteous king could come. A righteous priest could minister for us when we couldn't do it for ourselves. But he needed to be human. He needed to be one of us because if he wasn't, what, what does it mean if he's not one of us? He can't redeem us that way. But he was one of us. He was one of you, one of me. He came out of that tree and he was able to have righteousness and justice when we had bloodshed and distress. Right now across America, and probably in our room right now, Functionally, people think that religion is trying to be better so that we can be acceptable to God. It's, it's that, that we could be better people. But that's not what this passage shows us. It isn't that, that God said, well, I'll, I'll tend the tree so it looks better or so it, it, uh, it uh, grows in a certain way. He knocked, he chopped the tree down. He let the vineyard be trampled and destroyed because the vineyard couldn't do what it was designed to do. The tree couldn't live the way it was designed to live. And that's the reality that Isaiah is telling us here on the doorstep of Advent is that what we need isn't just kind of a makeover. What we need isn't a, a better haircut or a, 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 uh, a better disposition or to think happy thoughts. But what we need is to come to the end of ourselves, to be entirely cut down, to admit that all we have is rotten fruit. That's a hard thing. Ever sing Amazing Grace? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, and you think, I'm not a wretch. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I got some problems, but I'm not a wretch. And yet, the gospel is admitting that we are that wretch. The gospel is admitting that we cannot achieve it on our own, that all of our fruit, apart from God, is sour grapes. And that the good news is that through Jesus... He produces righteousness for us that we can take and put on. And that through His power, we are able to do what we could never do for ourselves. The answer isn't to try and be a better person. It's to surrender to God. To completely surrender, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. 
and allow him to shape us into what we could never create for ourselves. This is, this is going to be a trying week for some of us because we've got family. I can tell there are some of you that already, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The Lord knows as well. And it's going to be difficult because, you know, perhaps you feel the, the, the stress of having to prepare the meal. Any people hosting this year? Okay, that's a stressful thing. Anyone who's a guest and feel like you should be doing it anyway? Yeah. Yep. Anyone stress out, anyone a guest and then stresses out other guests who do not help out? Yeah, we can worry in a lot of ways. We can be angry in a lot of ways. We can be frustrated in a lot of ways. There are relationships that have history that are going to be encountered this week, aren't there? There are going to be discussions that we fear once every year that happen this week. There are going to be questions that, that we have. There are going to be, there are going to be there's going to be anxiety, there's going to be nervousness, there's going to be worry about who had one too many glasses of wine. Oh no, <laughs> I'm not going to ask what that was. The, the, the answer this week is not to strive to be a better person because probably some of us have already failed at that in our pre-worry. The answer is to surrender to the God who has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so as we go about this week, let me challenge you. A few weeks ago, I challenged you to, to let God lead in your decision-making, to pray to God about decisions that, that you need Him to lead instead of trying to lead yourself, and then ask God's blessing. This week, very intentionally, in the, in the midst of the busyness and the hecticness and the anxiety, let me ask you to surrender to God this week. Whenever you feel that anxiety rising, whenever you feel the questions coming to your mind, whenever you feel the tension in your body, use that as a reminder to surrender to God. And maybe that requires during the prayer that we're going to have in just a minute here that you start surrendering now. That may very well be. I know that feeling. It's not a good one. But that's the hope of the gospel, even right now, in the midst of all that is going on and all the, the, the relational collisions that are going to happen over the next week. God does for us what we could never do for ourselves. We need a Savior. He is there, and He creates a future for us which is full of justice and righteousness and hope. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. You have seen our need. You didn't allow us just to, to, to struggle on our own, but you provided a way and a hope for us when all we could produce is sour grapes. As we think about the coming week, Lord, we need your help. We need your daily bread. We need to surrender over to your will because there are situations that are larger than we are. There are moments of stress that will get to us if we rely on our own strength. There are people who will get under our skin if we rely on our own strength. There are landmines that we will step on if we rely on our own strength. 
But Lord, help us to surrender over to you, to admit that we cannot do what we desire to do. But it's only by your son, the righteous branch of Jesse, who has grown up out of our own waywardness to provide righteousness and to provide hope for us. Show us where we need to surrender to your will. Show us where we need to be your people and to be molded and transformed into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you thanks because you are with us. And though everything around us may fall and fail, you are constant. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.